As we begin a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, we begin at the beginning with the First Commandment, recorded in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5, You shall have no other gods before me. We want to see this in the light also of the Gospel according to Matthew, and we'll turn now to that in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I know we've considered that in our series on Matthew, which we shall resume sometime in the fall, but it's good to revisit these things, and especially we want to visit where Jesus is speaking about two masters and the impossibility of serving two masters. And in this, we're going to find that he's referring to the fact that we shall have no other gods besides God. So let's read, we and our children... Very attentively, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 to the end of the chapter, Jesus talking about the problem of things. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thus far we read the word of God, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and The word to which we draw your attention as we consider the first commandment which prohibits idolatry is the word of Jesus in verse 24 of Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We love the commandments, beloved, don't we? We love them as the revealed will of God for us. We love to serve God, and we love to 
uh, hear from our Father in heaven in the, in the quiet of our solitude with God, the well done of the Father whom we love. And we love him because we're not under the bondage of the Old Testament law nor under the condemnation of the law because Jesus is our righteousness. As we saw last time as we were considering the beginning of our consideration of the law, we're not under the law to bondage and condemnation, but under the law to Christ, which is to be interpreted we're in the law, in communion with the law. We're on the side of the law, and the law is on our side in our communion with Christ. Now, we ought to have gotten this right. We ought to get this right, this wonderful place of the law in our lives, even though its condemnation is no more and it's no longer as it was for the Old Testament, a kind of tutor, even though we learn from it, we ought to have considered this, that we're in a special relation to the law, even as we consider the prologue to the law, that which we read every Sunday morning, which introduces, it's a prologue, it introduces the Ten Commandments. When God says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That prologue is the gospel. That is the gospel of being in Christ, of being exited from sin and its, its great threats and condemnation, and now into the fellowship of God. So as God's people, we love the law of God, and therefore we love the first commandment of God, the first of the ten, you shall have no other gods before me. We want to consider that in the light of the many gods that plague us, and they have to do with things, and they have to do with the devil behind the things, and the devil in the details of all of our lives. As Jesus addresses this practical problem of being idolatrous with regard to things, we would consider what he says about serving God and not mammon, and his asseveration, his great declaration with conviction and courage that we cannot serve two masters. And so God, not mammon, is the theme of my sermon. We want to consider uh, this impossibility of a both and. Jesus says you can't serve one and the other, God and mammon. What does that mean? And we want to consider the possibility may, and the impossibility and impossibility, one of them, made into an actuality. That would be the, the impossibility of serving God in ourselves, but that's made actual by the blood of Jesus. And then finally, the impossibilities. We want to consider them both, of not serving God and mammon, and then of that impossibility made actual, the gospel, and the fact that there are consequences. Consequences for serving mammon and consequences in our serving God. So, God and mammon, God and mammon. Jesus presents here, in this rather cryptic language of mammon, the wonderful contrast between God and this mammon, and the impossibility of serving God and mammon together, therefore. Mammon is simply a reference to the things of this earth. And all the things of this earth, which have a debilitating effect upon us, if that's all we're serving. That's the idea and the connotation of the word mammon. That's all, big word, to reflect upon the things of the earth and how they can become a trap for us. 
They've in fact become gods to us. Jesus is speaking of them. He's speaking of the, the mammon of this world in the treasures of this world. That's verse 19 and following. He says, don't lay up treasures for yourself. And then he speaks of our pronation to be over-considering the things of the earth, even in our anxiety about them. And so the last part of Matthew 6 is all about not worrying about things. So whether we're coveting things and seeking them as a treasure and as our all, whatever the things are, or whether we're worrying about them, whether we're worrying about this or that or the other thing, either of them is having a problem with these things that have become mammon to us, a God with a power, a power over us. It influences us, it leads to worry and grabbing, how we uh, act at work, how we spend our leisure, our bank accounts, and so on. Jesus says, it's impossible for you to serve two masters like God and mammon. Now, he doesn't say here it's impossible to serve God and, and maybe some things sometimes. People do that all the time. They serve God after a fashion, and they'll go to church, and they'll put in time and put in money, and they'll, walk the, they'll talk the talk, if, even if they don't walk the walk of being a Christian. And at the same time, they can serve things. They can go after these things and they can enlist them to their help. And they can um, serve these things as those things from which they would receive benefits. But the fact is, as Jesus states it, you cannot serve God and the things of the earth if they're truly your master's. You can't serve God, who is your master, and you cannot serve things which would become your master. You can't do it. Just like in any other uh, sphere of life, if there's two masters and you're trying to serve both of them, it won't work. It won't work. If, for example, you were in in a kingdom that had two kings... And they had two different wills, and they always will have two different desires for their subjects. And they said they were both kings on an equal level. It would be impossible to serve them, both, because one would be more of a king than another or less of a king than another. And so you'd serve one, but not totally as your master, and serve the other maybe more as your master, but you would not serve both as masters. One must yield to the other. And this is what the Bible's teaching here in Jesus about God and the distinction between God and the things that he's created. So don't think that you can have the best of both worlds as your masters. Even though we're in this world, Jesus is lifting us from the, the burden of serving the things of the world into the delights and the, the wonderful liberation of serving God who is above the world. That's why in the end he says, or this, his whole goal here is to teach God first and seeking his kingdom first above the things of the world. You think of it, God and things, how they are like two different masters and how different they are. God says, serve me. 
mammon, let's say mammon is all the things of the earth, and they're all, and Reverend Nick now is acting like all the things of the earth, everything that you could, you could like. And uh, those things are saying, serve me. God says, serve me. And the things are saying, serve me, live for me. God says, we know in his word, it's right here, seek the kingdom of God first. The things say, seek us first. Establish that as your priority. Maybe God's second, but seek us first. You're acting like a master. God says, walk by faith. The things say, walk by sight. Go into this world having your eyes wide open. Learn all the things you can see and taste and enjoy these things and really be in them because this is your happiness. God says, seek the things above and the things eternal. The world and the things of the world, they say, as a master would say, seek the things that are for now. Be secular in the greatest sense of the world. Be those who live and you're not worried about pie in the sky by and by, but you're here concerned about this world and gaining the things of the world and helping the things of the world along in the causes of the world. So you see that God and mammon as masters can exist side by side. You cannot have both. They're saying different things. Each requires your allegiance because after all, they are your masters, and the word for masters is kurios. It means Lord. You cannot serve two masters. God is Lord, and you can't serve mammon as Lord, the things of the earth. That's the dilemma here. That's the, the impossibility that Jesus is presenting. And you see what he's trying to do here, and he's, of course, doing a good job of it because he's the word of God, and this is the best sermon. He's trying to lead us away from the things of the world. That would be our masters. And this is really what God is doing to us every single Lord's Day. Every single prayer we make, whether we're anxious about things or whether we're full of things and wanting to stuff our faces and our pockets and our bank accounts more with those things, he's leading us to say, you can't do it both. Stop you're halting between two opinions. You're, you're dabbling in Christianity. Stop thinking that you can have God and then you can have all the cake of the world. Stop thinking that you can have two masters. It's impossible. You can't. And really what in this, he's seeking our obligation is Jesus. He's reminding us of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Sadly, many do, of course. Many go after the things of the earth. But God says over and over in the Bible, I am God. Look, for example, in the prophets, Jeremiah chapter 10, where he's in this great chapter warning the people off of learning the way of the heathen. The way of the heathen, he says, do not learn the way of the heathen, the Gentiles, Jeremiah 10 verse 2, is to, to make idols. It's to make things and into the representatives of the things that they think please them. They make them, and they make their, their trees and so on. But 
The result of it is that Jeremiah has a better word. Verse 10, the Lord is the true God. The Lord, the master, God, Jehovah, is the true God. Not the things you're making to be God. He's the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. And this is what the psalmist speaks. Uh, speaks of in Psalm 115, a versification of which we sang. It says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles, the heathens, say, So where is your God? And they're making all these idols. And, and the, the psalmist says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. The idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see, and so on. So, repeatedly, the Bible is contrasting God and everything else. Every imagination that we, that we imagine is God, every idea, every postulate, every lie, everything, all the mammon of the world is not God, so why would we serve it? And so, it's an impossibility That is presented by Jesus. You can't serve both. It's nonsense, therefore, to try to serve God and the things of the earth at the same time because they both require your full allegiance. It's also a responsibility not to serve the one, the mammon, or anything else we want to serve and to make our Lord. We are responsible to bend the knee to God Almighty. This is what the apostle did in the... uh, in the Athenian court, as it were, the, the, the place of, uh, the, where the philosophers were in Acts 17. He took them there and he stood in the midst of the Areopagus, Ari, Paul did, and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. They were. For I was always passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own prophets or poets have said. So a contrast is made before all the world and before Jewry itself, which needs constantly to know God, between God and everything else. Here, described in one word, in Jesus' words, as mammon. You cannot serve the things below. You cannot serve people below. You cannot be enslaved to circumstance and a free child of God. You cannot, that cannot be the case. And it ought not to be because God is high and God is perfect And God has the right to rule over every single square inch of your heart and all of your life. 
And so with regard to your things, and so with regard to your buying and selling, and so with regard to your relationships, and so with regard to your play and to your work, and so with regard to your fretting, and so with regard to your accumulating, God is Lord. And he ought to be. Jesus is speaking of this. And he's speaking of this, therefore, this impossibility which leads him to have us deduce that there's a responsibility here that's being brought forth for the good of those who are hearing him. What's striking to me about the wise and humble Jesus presented in the Gospels, the real Jesus, is how little, however, he says of himself. He says enough. But in this whole Sermon on the Mount, he speaks of God and speaks of the Lord, speaks of seeking the kingdom of God first. But little does he say of how he himself is involved in this. And I would commend for your thinking And I believe it's simply because Jesus is acting as the Lord himself right in front of them. And he needs no other word to commend himself to them. His words are doing the talking. The word of God through Jesus communicates to the people this one. He speaks as one having authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. This one. When he speaks of a righteousness that is far beyond the righteousness of of people who seek to earn something with God, this one must know something of the righteousness of God himself. And I wonder, they might be led to be saying, hearing this sermon, if it is not by faith in Jesus alone that we can be right with God. Now that would be a good conclusion they would make and Hopefully we've all made that conclusion. We've understood that Jesus Christ is the way to God and serving God is serving him who is the Lord. And again, this is the gospel, beloved. The gospel of the first commandment. The gospel is that we've been delivered from sin and bondage through Jesus speaking. And through his blood being shed. He's your Savior and he's your Lord. Or he's not your Savior if he's not your Lord. You see, it would be the case that Jesus could lead us to conclude and and does. You cannot serve two masters. You also cannot serve two saviors. You cannot serve two saviors. You ought not serve two saviors. Jesus is all about revealing himself as the Savior and the Lord. As one in the same, God revealed the God of the Exodus and the God of the commandments. The God of the beginning of our life, the God who directs our life, the God who gives us faith and also works faith and gives us to obey and the heart to obey leads to a second point. Talked about the impossibility of both and. Can't do it. Which leads to the responsibility of serving the one, only God. And that revealed in Jesus. 
Well, beloved, there is an impossibility, another impossibility, that's made actual. Now, how can that be? An impossibility made actual. Here's how it can be. God, the Lord himself, Jesus is not talking about any God who's like mammon, who can only do certain things and go so far. That's it. He's talking about God. The contrast between the things of the earth are, and God are as wide as east is from west and from, as earth it is from heaven itself. It's so great. God is God, most high, the rock who's higher than we are and anything we could conceive. Jesus, speaking, therefore, and alluding to the fact that with God all things are possible. He said that once to those who were in a conundrum about the requirements of the kingdom. How can this be? Better that we don't follow you. It's impossible to be a Christian. And maybe we said that sometimes. Impossible to be a Christian. Jesus says, leave everything. Oh, but I have to bury my dad. He says, leave everything. Leave the funeral. And the arrangements for the funeral to somebody else. If it interferes with your following me, leave everything. Leave your ego. Leave your free time. Leave everything. Because I'm Lord. And I've saved you now to be my subject. And... There may be no double-mindedness about this. No dabbling in Christianity. None of that. How about you, beloved? How about me? Are we all in? All in, no matter where God leads us. This is about Simple obedience and simple recognition of the fact that God is worthy of our obedience and simple understanding of what we've been given in the Savior Jesus Christ and how little it is of us to give of ourselves, it should be of ourselves, to the God who's given everything and bankrupted heaven for us. You cannot... And ought to serve two masters, and you ought not. And, beloved, as I say in this second point, Jesus has made something that was impossible actual. And here's what he did it was impossible that we be made to serve God. Uh, It's impossible, beloved, not only to serve two masters, but what the Bible teaches is that it's impossible to serve one master, that is God. You can serve all the other earthly masters, fine. And you're just serving the devil. And everybody does this who's born in Adam. But it is impossible to serve God as you are in Adam. That's the wonder of the gospel, that we now can serve God and have God. How is it possible with God? How is it possible with grace? How is it possible because God dwells among us and took upon us our sin? And God is the Lamb. 
God is the Lamb whose blood is shed and sprinkled upon the door cases of the people of the Exodus and sprinkled all over the cross and flowing from it and now cleansing you and cleansing me. That's why it's possible. Grace, not only possible, but real. Salvation is accomplished, and it's applied to the giving of the Holy Spirit. So, the keeping of the commandments is not possible with us, but all things are possible with God, and all things according to his decree of election of grace, and according as God has chosen the mediator and a people in him, they come to pass. And basically, beloved, the possibility of this impossibility, which possibility is more than that, it's an actuality, is simply because it's not, first of all, about us having God and no other gods, but it's about God having us and loving us. That's the good news. And as we're seeking to keep the commandments and to expound them, remember that. Don't lose the gospel, the prologue, prologue to the gospel. I'm your God. I brought you out of Egypt. Beloved, God does everything. He sought us. He bought us. And he brought us to himself. Everything. He does everything. And the calling now of me is a glad response. The calling, which really means, according to the catechism, we're to have no other gods before God, and we are to desire, as sincerely we desire, the salvation of our soul to avoid and flee from all idolatry and sorcery and soothsaying and superstition and so on, and the invocation of saints or any other creatures. That's what we're delivered from by God. The ability to learn rightly to know the only true God, which the Catechism says is our uh, requirement in the commandment. The ability to trust in him alone with humility and patience and to submit to him and to expect all good things from him alone and to love and to fear and glorify him with my whole heart so that I renounce and forsake all creatures rather than commit even the least thing contrary to his will. That's of God. And we read, you cannot serve two masters, no one can. And we know we can't even serve one, that is, we can't serve God. We know Jesus. So do it, beloved. The impossibility of anyone serving God, of a carnal person like you, like I am. That's, how, that's who we are by nature. Just a bunch of idolaters, fornicators, perverts, adulterers, covetous, anxious, proud. We need Jesus. Have no other gods. Commandment comes to us 
Forget it. That's impossible. Don't have any other forces in your life than God influencing you and his word. And we live in this society. Makes it equally or just bad. Bad for an Adamite, bad for a Christian, hard for a Christian to have God. We live in a society that's just having its way with all its gods. They're rewriting everything. Not just the Constitution, but they're trying to rewrite the Bible and get it out of everywhere. And they want us to join with them in serving their mammon, their bales, their molochs, their science. And there's all kinds of theological gods. And there's a trinity even. Love and nice and tolerance. The new Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of the liberals. Love and nice and tolerance. Just be that way. Preach God that way. And preach God in his word, but listen to other people, other humans, other brothers of humanity. When they say, but science teaches this. So you have God in the word and, and then science. And after all, these men are made in the image of God. And don't they have something to say and something to conclude about truth? And they find it. And when they find that the earth, they think, is billions of years old, realign your thinking about the Bible and the Bible itself with them. Learn from many sources. This is the God of the world and the God of the age and the God of many a university that goes by the name Christian and Reformed. The God of the word and science, just like in the beginning. Yea, if God said, the devil said, and Eve said, no, maybe not, he didn't. Maybe it wasn't fair what he said. Maybe it wasn't enough. Thus began the beginning of the addition to the word of God and the subtraction from the word of God, the beginning of the condemnation of the human race. How dare you deny, avoid, subtract from, or add to what God says? That's the church Serving the mammon, the thing called popularity and acceptance. That's the Christian university when it yields to the scientists. The new popery yielding so it gets funds and it gets more popular. Beloved, have none of it. Have none of it. Because to have God is to have his word, is to have his Jesus, is to love him with all your heart, is to abandon yourself, to, to say, I have no time except to serve the one. And so my time is not my time. I have no life except to live the life that Christ lives in me. I have no, no hope except to hope in the hope of the gospel. I have no direction except God tell me. I have no relationship if, except God give me a good one, a man or a woman or a friend. See how God, the master, because he saved us, works in us to admit 
This is my life now. I'm not my own. And I'm not going to worry. I'm not. You're not, are you? I'm not going to grab. Not anymore. I'm not going to leave this church and be a grabber anymore. I'm not going to be a desperate man or a desperate woman. I'm not going to be lazy anymore. Because my God is the God I serve. And to have him is to tell the world he has sinners like me. He's that graceful. And he loves. He loves to show just what it's all worth having him. And this is my final point. There's consequences to to both impossibilities. Consequences to the fact that people are they're, they're not able to serve God. All they can do is serve mammon and maybe a little bit of God. That first of all, bad consequences. That's what happens. A lot of the idolatry in our age is a denial that God lives, and so they deny there's any consequences. You know who's getting all the monkeypox? The gays. Never hear about that. And all this government money and all this, oh, let's raise the red flag about this stuff. And if people would just keep their hands to themselves and limit sex to a man and a woman who are married, they'd know something about God and the sacred institution that marriage is. There's consequences. And we're, as a nation, society, that has championed liberty, reaping the consequences. Romans 1. Here's the idolatry of the Gentiles. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Mammon. This is Romans 1 and verse 20. Mammon itself declares that they're created things, that there's a creator. So that they understand even his eternal power and Godhead to these Gentiles so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile, vain in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And then this, God would not be mocked and therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, God visiting, visits sinners with their own reward of their sin. 
gives them over to doing the most shameful things that don't e animals don't even do. And if Romans 1 is not the word of God, there's no word of God. And if God is not the God of Romans 1, he's not the God who's good that we know, and he is. It's true. Beloved, we live in this world. We have our own flesh. And do you dare? Do you dare to have just God? Do you dare to have just God? And stand out and maybe we won't be able to talk about things, certain things we think as we evangelize at a, at a table and advertise our church. Maybe we'll have to stand up because some clown will say, yes, we hope you're inclusive down there. And you're going to have to say, no. Except you be a sinner and seek Christ your righteousness. Oh, come on in. But if you want to include people who come on their own terms, we're not that kind of church. And you say that because God is not that kind of God. He's not like things. He's not like men, though men think they're like God. And they'll go to hell unless they repent. Not just the unhappy gays, all sinners, all sinners. The, the ones who have clean-looking lives and who seem to be outstanding neighbors without God and having God and God having them, they displease God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But for the righteous, oh, beloved, even though there's the consequences of bearing a cross and people laughing at us, scorning us, mocking us, making fun of what we teach and, and ignoring us, that's often how we're persecuted, you know. Give them the great cold shoulder. Just go somewhere else and, and laugh on the way as you're going and and let's write about how prosperous our church is and how people have gotten saved, not only but healed of their diseases because we have this health and wealth gospel we've added to the, the good news that was temporary, that Jesus forgives sins. And we've said now it's health and wealth, even as the Constitution has added other rights to it than life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now we need health care and everything. Everybody wants to add to anything, and especially to what God has done and said, it's just not enough. Are you willing to be mocked, is the question. Jesus is preparing us as he would wean us from the world and the mammon and all the things you bow to and all the things you seek and the temptation to just give your life at least quite a bit of it to a bigger boat or something else, right here. He's saying you cannot serve God and mammon. And you ought not, but just have God. Isn't he enough? I trust that that's what you trust. Amen. Our Father, we pray 
with praise. You have us. You have us. And why we cannot figure out, we look at the mammon of the earth and some of that's appealing, and we go after that. And you look at us and what do you find, Lord? What do you find? We know, thank God, what you find. Jesus. One for whom Jesus died. One whose name is written in heaven. Oh God, thanks for that. Choosing us, giving your son to die for us and teaching through your word of the Savior true in the Lord who is no despot, but who is a great Lord and whose commandments set us free. God, thanks for setting us free to obey you, to have that significant holy life. If our life seems in no other way significant, at least it is significant because it's holy and it's a work of God. We pray to be that holy and to show off your work. For Jesus' sake, amen.